the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Good afternoon and welcome. I'm Jim Stanley in for Bert Harper again this afternoon. Brother Bert's on vacation taking, I would say he's on vacation, but really I believe it was a staycation. And he said that Miss Jan has had a jar full of honeydews. And so um, I'm in here while he's working at home. And it's my privilege to be alongside Dr. Alex McFarland. Good afternoon, Alex. Hello, Jim. How are you, my friend? Doing well, sir. You know, um, if I know Bert Harper, I know he's on uh, a few days of R&R and vacation, but he's probably working on a dozen things and staying busy. And we are in Nahum chapter 2 today, the Old Testament book of Nahum. And Jim, you know, I had the privilege earlier today of speaking with a, a frequent listener, and he said that he had worked in Washington and had, you know, been immersed in politics for a number of years, and now listening to this afternoon kind of oasis of Bible study and scriptural truth. He said it was just such a breath of fresh air, even as important as news and current events is, to just pull away from all of the politics for an hour and just talk about the Word of God. And isn't it a privilege we can do that? It absolutely is. And, you know, for him to say that was very kind, because that's what we had in mind when we did this. Uh, Because we hear news all day long, and Nothing wrong with that. There's a place for news, uh, obviously, or we wouldn't have AFR talk. But sometimes you just got to take a break. And what a a great way to do that by taking and and literally diving into God's Word. And so that's what we do between 3 and 4 Central here on AFR with the program called Exploring the Word. Now, Alex, yesterday we finished up Chapter 1. And want to kind of want to go back uh, to verse 15 there because it, it rolls right in to chapter 2. And it says, Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. He who scatters has come up before your face. On into chapter 2 now. Man the fort. Watch the road. Strengthen your flanks. Fortify your power mightily. For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. For the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. Alex, when, mm-hmm. when we see that, it, it this is kind of almost a pause uh, where Nahum is again reassuring those that believe in God that God hasn't forgotten them. Well, yeah, exactly. And and by the way, I've just got to mention there, as chapter 1 ends, there's that famous verse that's uh, quoted in Romans 10, 15, Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings. Jim, you've probably heard preachers talk about uh, those that share the gospel have beautiful feet. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul quotes that. Uh, you know, how can they hear unless uh, a preacher is sent to share the gospel as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. And so with our feet, 
we we march forward with the message of Jesus. But interesting, you know, Nahum is really kind of a sequel to Jonah, mm-hmm. and a century has gone by at least since the revival of Nineveh under Jonah, and now Nineveh's uh, fallen into sin again. And so, uh, imagine imagine these these. Um, pools, uh, it says, the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel, for the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. Okay, the the ones who scatter, the ones who empty, God knows what um, destroys a people. God knows who brings a people into sin. Um, you know, the Bible says that we're not to be stumbling blocks to anybody, and, you know, the ones who have uh, wasted the people, led the people astray, uh, ruined the vine branches of chapter 2. Um, God knows about that. Verse 3 says, The shields of his mighty men are made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. Uh, that That's blood. Mm-hmm. That That's blood. The The mighty men and the valiant men are showing the the wounds and the the death of battle. The chariots come with flaming torches in the day of his preparation, and the spears are brandished. Um, There's a lot of imagery in here of of battle. And, you know, not to spiritualize too much, Jim, but wouldn't you say that history, and certainly our nation's history right now, is a a time of spiritual battle? And, and I think people don't realize that our, our problem here in our country is not fundamentally social or economic or political. I mean, like Nineveh of old, like Judah that was oppressed, um, we're in the midst of a spiritual battle. And this military imagery of shields and spears and torches and chariots, the imagery of, of a warfare and a battle is very appropriate because history itself is really the story of spiritual warfare, of darkness against light, and hanging in the crosshairs are the souls of people. Yeah, and you know, when one looks back at the history of Nineveh itself around this time, we find that it was not much later that it was utterly destroyed. Mm-hmm. You know, that it, that it was flooded uh, because of the two rivers that run along along through there, that those the rainy season came and it was an extraordinary rainy season, according to historians. And uh, so Nineveh was, in fact, destroyed ultimately uh, because God had promised Judah that he would always, you know, that he would take care of them. And so, you know, the chariots rage in the streets. They jostle one another in the broad roads. They seem like torches. They run like lightning. Now, Alex, I want you to know I'll never be confused with lightning if I run it, you know, it, it just won't mm-hmm. happen. But I mean, I think that gives, and I don't, I'm not making light of scripture just of me personally, but it's one of those things that when you see that phrase, they run like lightning, it goes back to kind of what we talked about yesterday. You know, there's going to be so much turmoil that there's just literally nowhere for them to escape. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, what's interesting, Jim, I mean, we're talking about history here. Um, Nineveh famously had these walls that were so big and so tall, chariots could run uh, three abreast. Mm-hmm. It was a f- what they call a fortified city. And today, a lot of what was Assyria and Nineveh is the country of Mosul. And do you know there was a part of one of Nineveh's walls, and um, 
one of the gates that dates back to this time. I mean, this is, you know, 2,500 to 2,800 years ago, and as recently as 2016, ISIS had destroyed some of the ruins of Nineveh, Mm -hmm. although it wasn't really ruins. I mean, they were pretty well excavated. So, I mean, this is is real stuff, folks. This is history uh, that the Word of God records for us, but Uh, Verse 4 of chapter 2, the chariots rage in the streets, they jostle one another in the broad roads, they seem like torches, they run like lightning. I mean, this is, you know, uh, traffic going back and forth, uh, chaotic. He remembers his nobles, they stumble in their walk, they make haste to her walls as the defense is prepared. The gates of the rivers are open, the palace is dissolved, it is decreed. She shall be led away captive, she shall be brought up, and her maidservants shall lead her as with the voice of doves beating their breasts. Uh, there's, there's chaos and there's confusion. I mean, just social busyness anyway, but now it's really morphing into a state of war. Though Nineveh of all was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Halt, halt, they cry, but no one turns back. In other words, verse 8 is like, as the, as the place goes into chaos, hey, halt, everybody calm down, but nobody calms down. Take spoil of silver, take spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure, of wealth, of every desirable prize. You know, um, they, they talk about on the Titanic, when the Titanic hit the iceberg and was going to sink, and there was kind of pandemonium, and people were grabbing jewels and, you know, valuables. And then people began, when they realized they might be stuck at sea, people were grabbing food and fruit because they didn't know how long they would be out there stranded. And that they say people were, some of the rich people were trying to trade their diamonds and their jewelry for fruit, some sort of sustenance. When the place is in chaos, people are trying to grab spoils. Let me just say this, um, Jim, People are a little bit apprehensive right now. People are wondering what's the future going to be like? What's the economy going to do? Let me tell you, it's not silver and gold that you ultimately will find your comfort in. The, the, the chaos of our world reminds us that we need to turn to that, that only eternal surety, and that's the Lord, the Lord. Uh, Verse 10, she's empty, desolate, waste. The heart melts, the knees shake. Much pain is at every side. All their faces are drained of color. Um, Jim, there's going to be a time when people are going to just be destitute, panicking. Friend, turn to the Lord while you've got a chance. Uh, while, While you've got time to turn to the Lord and you've got presence of mind and you can call on the Lord and be saved. Because I think about this. Hearts melting, knees shaking, pain all around, faces drained of color. This is a culture in a state of judgment and really anarchy. And uh, imagine imagine the, the world situation during the tribulation. Mm-hmm. Um, friend, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know you have right now. You can turn to the Lord. And uh, how many of these Ninevites had presence of mind to turn to the God of the Hebrews? I don't know. But it was a time that you you read about the heart melting and the knees shaking. I doubt they could pause and think, oh, gee, I better turn to God. Right. Jim, have you ever heard people say, um, I've had people that we've shared the gospel with, and sometimes people say, well, you know, if it turns out and I'm 
at the end of my life, then in that last moment, I'll call on God. Well, you know, the old saying that um, many people that thought they would turn to God at the 11th hour, you know, died at 1059. Right. Well, you don't know what tomorrow holds, but you have this moment. Absolutely. I mean, you think of the tragedies around the country, um, not only through some of the violence, but through weather, uh, weather related deaths and weather related injuries and simple car accidents. You know, people leave home for home for work and then they don't come home. And we're not saying that to try and scare you. Please believe me. We're trying to tell you how frail life is. And as we read in verse 11, where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions? Where the lion walked, the lioness and lion's cub, and no one made them afraid. The lion tore in pieces enough for his cubs, killed for his lioness, filled his caves with prey and his dens with flesh. And then Alex here in verse 13, probably one of the scariest verses in the Bible or at least one of the most sobering verses Mm -hmm. in the Bible. God says in verse 13, Behold, I am against you. Now, I think it's significant that it wasn't just I'm against you, but I am, because we know God, one of his names was and is the great I am. We'll Mm. continue with verse 13 here on American Family Radio. Jim Stanley along with Dr. Alex McFarland here on Exploring the Word, and we'll be right back. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Daniel Walsh, Acting Director of the Pentagon Force Protection Agency. His agency protects the occupants, visitors, and infrastructure of the Pentagon and other buildings of our Defense Department. Psalm 34-7 reminds us of the spiritual protection God gives us each day. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and rescues them. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Daniel Walsh as he works to safeguard the people and structures in our nation's capital. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2021 prayer journal to help guide you through the year in prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. A father's attitude about finances can make the difference between running a family successfully and running it into the ground. Dr. Tony Evans explains why as we spend two minutes with Tony. There is no greater problem facing families and individuals today than the problem of debt. Someone has said that there are three categories of people, the haves, the have-nots, and the have-not paid for what they have. (laughs) To be weighted down in debt is a sign of lack of spirituality. And you can camouflage it any way you want to, but God told his people in Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and verse 12, that if you would do things my way, a lender and not a borrower you shall be. Ignorance can breed debt. 
indulgence, impulse spending. And when there is no plan, there is a plan to fail. Psalm 37, 21 says, it is the unrighteous who borrow and do not repay. It is ungodly to have bills for which you do not take responsibility. And that not only means that it is paid, it also means that it is paid timely. But whether you decide to believe God or not will determine whether debt runs you or you run debt. Learn more about how a godly man can change his wife, his family, his church, even his world. Request a copy of Dr. Evans' best-selling book, Kingdom Man, for yourself, your brother, uncle, husband, father, teenage son, or your church study group. Visit us at TonyEvans.org and click on the link that says Making Kingdom Men. That's TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time as we spend two minutes with Tony. Thanks for listening to American Family Radio. Here's a thought from Scripture. Jesus said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Let me go down, down, down in history As another blood or faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name, well that's fine with me I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus You know, that's my hope, Alex, that I get to the point in my life that I can be like Paul where he said, follow me as I follow Christ. I don't want people to see Jim Stanley. I want see people to see Jesus. What about you? Amen. 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 It's all for Jesus. You know, folks, uh, we're going to be in Nahum chapter 2 again in a minute. But, Jim, I was thinking about one of my favorite verses earlier today. Psalm 115, verse 1. I love this verse. It says, Not unto us, O Lord, give glory. Not unto us give glory, but unto thy name give glory for the sake of the truth. See, that's why we're doing this, folks, for the glory of God and because it's true. I mean, it, it really is true. Hey, hey, Jim, you know, we were talking about the greatness of Nineveh, and it might seem hard to kind of appreciate some ancient city, but even 400 years before the birth of Christ, Herodotus was a Greek historian. Now, keep in mind, all of this of Nahum, we're talking about 660 to 670 B.C. So 250 years later, in 400 B.C., the uh, Greek historian Herodotus said, quote, Nineveh was a thing of the past, and that they wrote about um, their 10,000 soldiers that were defeated in some sort of battle. So, I mean, think about... Nineveh had at least 10,000 soldiers. Um, They've excavated over there in in what is part of Iraq, Mosul, and and one historian said that Nineveh contained, quote, palace after palace, decorations, and it was a, a magnificent ancient people. But listen to this, folks, and we'll get back to the Scripture. There was a, a, a king... Uh, Ashurbanipal was his name, and he had one library of 10,000 tablets, or what they call flat bricks they would write on. So, I mean, you think about this in the ancient world. 2,600 years ago, 
I mean, palace after palace, opulent decorations, a library of 10,000 volumes, and an army, at least one unit of an army of 10,000 people. And, and that's why when we read in chapter 2, it says the lion, uh, the lion walked and had food for his cubs, the lion tore in pieces enough for his lionesses. See, one of the Assyrian symbols was a lion, and lions are powerful, right? But when Almighty God says, I'm against you, the I am is against you, mm. hey, 10,000 troops are, are nothing, riches and wealth and libraries and walls and chariots. That's nothing if Almighty God says that he's against you. Now, one last thought, and I'll turn it over to you, Jim. Do you remember um, back in uh, Romans chapter 8, it asked this wonderful question, if God be for us, who can be against us? Right. That's wonderful. Hey, but if God be against you, who can be for you? And I think about our beloved America, the world's superpower. But if we don't have the Lord on our side, we're hopeless. Well, and and we really are, uh, because we, you and I have talked about this often, Bert and I have talked about it. In fact, all of us have talked about it at one time or another, that America cannot be self-reliant. America has to be God-reliant. Now, would we like to be self-sufficient in our oil and and textile needs? Sure. But part of that comes because of the blessing of God. And now I'm not looking to open up the debate about the pipeline this afternoon, whether it should or should not be open, whether or not the the rigs in Texas should be pumping full steam ahead rather than, you know, some of the things that have gone on there. But what I'm talking about is that we have to look beyond – the self-sufficiency capacity that America has to realize that if we don't get back to relying on God, if we don't get back to the foundation of his word, then what held true for Nineveh will hold true for us as well. Yeah, I mean, I can, see, I can see a prophet proclaiming now saying, Behold, America, I am against you says the Lord of hosts, I will burn your chariots in smoke and the sword will devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. Alex, when I was reading that about the lion and and everything right there and -hmm. how the lion was going to bring destruction to Nineveh and was going to help with some of that, it made me think of 1 Peter 5.8. You know, uh, Peter reminded us to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But we have that hope in Christ that he can't devour us because we belong to God. And while this was a warning to Nineveh, God still promised that, that that Judah would be safe, didn't he? He did. He did. And you know what? Let, let me say this. The Bible warns, warns about the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, we're, we're in, in the midst of a, of a fallen world system, and then there's our own fallen nature, mm-hmm. the flesh, our propensity to sin. Do you remember that hymn? Um, I think it might have been, Love Divine, All Loves It's Selling, and it's got this line. I used to think about it when I was younger. Take away our bent to sinning. Alpha and Omega B. Do you remember that lyric, Jim? I don't. That's um, not one I'm familiar with. 
Well, we have this bent towards sinning. It's our sin nature. Paul wrote about this, that the flesh wars against the Spirit. And then, of course, like you read from 1 Peter, Satan stalks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, Jim, I was reading a stat. I was prepping for the show. And uh, earlier this year, it was documented by uh, the Gallup poll uh, that uh, right now, only 47% of Americans say that they are members of a church, mosque, or synagogue. Mm. Uh, the lowest number ever. And and just 25, 30 years ago, it was 90% plus. I mean, so for the first time in our nation's history, you know, less than 50% claim to be, you know, practicing in their religious beliefs. Uh, now, whether or not they're born-again believers, I don't know, but I mean, for the first time ever, less than 50% go to some sort of religious, structured religious service in the course of a week. Now, my point being, uh, we just don't acknowledge how serious sin is. I mean, the world, the flesh, the devil, our fallen nature, the increasing darkness of this world, and we need God. I want to ask everybody to pray for revival. We so desperately need a revival because the Bible, Nahum is clear. God does not acquit the guilty. Uh, sin is serious. Sin will be accounted for. And so as we segue into chapter 3, chapter 2 concludes, the Lord of hosts says he's going to burn their chariots, uh, and the sword will devour the young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers will be heard no more. This is a, this is a culture and a nation that's under judgment, and what they've depended on for power their economics, their military strength, uh, just the, the, the strength of their culture. It, the rug will be yanked out from under them. Now, verse 1 of chapter 3, Woe to the bloody city! It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. Jim, we, there's a lot we could say about a bloody city. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a place where life is cheap. Human life is not sacred anymore. Um, Jim, I was studying for the programs earlier today, and I was reading about uh, one commentator back 60-some years ago in the 1950s was predicting that secularism, secularism would result in a lessening of the value of human life. Now, it was more than 20 years before Roe versus Wade, and the removal of legal protection for the unborn. And this particular commentator was talking about if we become secular, now listen folks, not only is human life not valued, but our rights hang in the balance. Because two things are very interwoven. Our belief that that human life is sacred, we're made in the image of God, but also as Jefferson said, as John F. Kennedy said, as Harry Truman said, as Ronald Reagan said, look, the rights of man, your liberties, do not come from the government. The role of government is not to give you rights. The role of government is to guard the rights you already possess from the hand of God. Now, when Nahum 3.1 says that Nineveh is a bloody city full of lies and robbery, there's murder, there, there's killing, there's, there's exploiting people. Um, Jim, and I'm sorry to be kind of a downer today, 
But listen, I, we, we are a bloody America. Mm-hmm. We don't value life. We don't, we don't um, see, as, as George Washington said, listen to this, folks. George Washington, this is amazing, the commander of the Continental Army, he wrote a booklet for his soldiers, and it was called On Manners and Civility. He wanted his soldiers, Washington's men, to speak respectfully to each other. He didn't like his soldiers to say curse words. And part of it was Washington taught his men that when I honor you, I'm honoring the one whose image you bear. We, we interviewed years and years and years ago on Exploring the Word, we interviewed an author who had written about George Washington's prayer journal. And the reason I'm bringing this up is, um, from the get-go, our country, we believed that our fellow human beings were made in the image of God. We valued life. And here we are in 2021, and I read about Nineveh being a bloody city, a city full of lies and robbery, a city full of victims that have no hope and recourse. Jim, I grieve for my beloved America. Mm-hmm that we are a bloody nation that doesn't acknowledge human life or the one who gave it. Well, and, and not only are we talking about ab- abortion, but also more states now are participating with assisted suicide, mm. or as they like to term it, death with dignity. Um, and, and, you know, there are nine states, I think, that are doing that, along with the District of Columbia. And so... I can remember when that was being talked about and it was almost, you know, it was almost like, oh, no, we can't ever do that. But the warnings began with abortion. And then now that abortion has become the law of the land and has become basically used as birth control, now we look at the other end of that. And we saw this during the COVID, uh, you know, outbreak last year at its height, where they were talking about uh, letting the seniors, let them pass on because they couldn't battle the the disease. And so we're finding not only ways to prevent life from being born, but we're finding ways to make end of life, um, speed up end of life and make it more acceptable, make it more palatable because we don't call, it's no longer assisted suicide. Like I said, they the language has changed to death with dignity. And, mm. you know, I'm, I mean, I I have a, a do not resuscitate order for me. And someone said, you're mighty young to make that decision. Well, I'm 60 years old. And I, I've thought about this. I've thought hard about it. It's not that I'm ready. To, I'm, well, let me back up. I am ready to die, but I'm mm-hmm. not ready to die. You, I, I, you, yes, I understand. You understand? And so, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to exist in a coma-like state. That's that's not what I'm talking about. But neither am I saying, you know, hey, uh, let me just go ahead and help this along today. That's not it at all. And I think that when we look at both extremes, when we look at life in the womb, which should be one of the safest places a baby can ever be, and then at the end of life, when those who love us are supposed to be helping to care for us. You know, they're finding ways, more ways to make it legal to go ahead and and let the person go before they're at their end of life. Does that make sense? It really does. It really does. And, friend, you know, the Sixth Commandment says thou shalt not murder. Part of the reason that murder is wrong 
is because it is taking something that doesn't belong to us. See, God is the giver of life. You know, we're now I'm not talking about self-defense or national defense. Um, and I, I don't mean to get us off track here, folks, but killing and murder are two different things. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, sometimes uh, a soldier in national defense, uh, soldiers have to kill, or a homeowner might kill uh, an intruder. Uh, self-defense and national defense are not, in a biblical sense, murder. Murder is the unjust taking of another human's life. And part of the reason, and by the way, part of the reason suicide is wrong, self-murder. See, life is a gift from God, and murder is taking something that doesn't belong to us. Now, when it comes to things like abortion of the unborn, or it comes to euthanasia of, of the elderly, Jim, it's, it's almost like we want to be our own God, mm-hmm. because the, the start of life and the end of life, those are actions in the hands of God, not man. That's right. But, and, and so the initiation of life, the cessation of life, that's not our call to make. In term, Now, um, Romans 13, 1 through 7 talks about the powers that be do not bear the sword in vain. So I'm not talking about civil government, but, you know, even um, whether it's euthanizing an elderly person or, e- or committing suicide, uh, let me say this, folks. Life is sacred, and it's, in the, it's handled by the hands of the one who created life, Almighty God. Amen. Folks, go ahead and give us a call at 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. We'll begin to take your phone calls as we're in the book of Nineveh today. Or pardon me, book of Nineveh. We're in the city of Nineveh. We're in the book of Nahum. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here's another of our core values. AFA believes that all men and women, whether in private or public, should be free to exercise their faith without hindrance from the government. Thank you for standing with AFA, and we thank you for your support. We don't need any more information. We don't need another revelation. We have it all. God has given it to us in between the covers of this book. Now it's up to us to take what we have been given and give it back to God in a life of diligence that will bring honor to His name. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his series, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Statistics show that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and to commit crime. They're nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. Yet the percentage of children born to fatherless homes has skyrocketed in America. As of 2015, 25% of white, 53% of Hispanic, and 73% of black babies are born into fatherless homes. While Scripture teaches that the weight of raising children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord falls upon fathers, seems like we need a movement that says fatherhood matters. 
Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummett with today's Moving Forward Minute. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 25 says this, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him. A man asked God, God, how much is a million dollars to you? The Lord said, It's like a penny. Then he said, Well, God, how long is a million years to you? God said, It's like a minute. The man said, God, can I have a penny? The Lord answered, In a minute. Well, sometimes we're anxious for God to answer our prayers, and he asks us to wait. That can be one of the most frustrating times in the whole wide world. When we have a need, we want God to answer us quickly. Remember, God doesn't operate on our timetable, but God's timing in our lives is perfect and He is always good. God is honored when we wait on Him. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Now, back to the Bible study you're listening to, Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. It's about the cross, it's about my sin, it's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. It's about the only way we can enter heaven is to be born again. The only way we can be born again is through Jesus Christ and His shed blood that marks the forgiveness and and restitution for our sin. Uh, this is Exploring the Word, Jim Stanley along with Dr. Alex McFarland. And Alex, we are going to be in the third chapter tomorrow uh, in the book of Nahum. We, we got through the first verse, and then uh, we, we stopped there. And so, well, folks, go ahead for your homework tonight. Go ahead and read the rest of chapter 3. And this would be a pretty quick study, you know, to get through the book in one week. And so, Alex, I, I think I'm going to leave you and Bert in good hands. Well, amen. Well, we appreciate you always. Whenever you can stop in and visit with us, we appreciate that. And, folks, Jim is such a blessing. And, you know, I'm not going to get off on a rabbit trail here, but this radio that touches so many millions of lives every day, I don't, I don't know what all you do, Jim, but I, I've, I've been to your office many times, and I know you have a lot uh, on your plate regarding the running of this radio network, and we just thank the Lord for you, brother. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I've been here almost 21 years now, and really? I, I don't know that I'll make it another 21, but I sure would like to give it a whirl. Amen. Well, so. I don't know that the world will be around another 21. It may. <laughs> it may, but we we may very well be near the return of the Lord. We Amen. just don't know, but but we do want to stay ready. Sure do. All right, folks, we're going to get to your phone calls this afternoon. I'd like to remind you that we try and talk about the things that unite us rather than the things that divide us. And so uh, with that in mind, we're going to go to the phones now, and we're going to talk to Jim calling from Ohio. Jim, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you. Um, just would like uh, you to explain the, the laying on of hands to release the spiritual gifts. Uh, I know... God distributes the gifts, but that implies that we have uh, something to do with it. And um, I know that was done to me one time, and I had that particular a propensity for that particular gift. But afterwards, it, it it just really supercharged it, and I I 
just don't quite understand how that works. Okay, Jim, that's a great question. Alex, you know, when we talk about the spiritual gifts, we do want to be clear that the spiritual gifts are active today. But a lot of Mm -hmm. times in the churches, the laying on of hands doesn't take place as much as it used to. Now, when someone is dedicated to the Lord, when someone is ordained by their denomination to preach, a lot of times they'll ask folks to come and pray for that person and and come and lay hands on them then. But what's the difference in the laying on of hands for prayer and the laying on of hands for spiritual gifts? Uh, great question. Great, and You know, I'm not sure that we've had this question, or at least I can't recall having had it in, in a long time. So, uh, sir, thanks for calling in. In the New Testament, like in Acts chapter 19, uh, Paul laid hands on the people and the Holy Spirit was manifested. And the Bible also says in like 1 Timothy 5.22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Okay, basically in the New Testament, it seemed to identify people with the message and the messenger, uh, the message of Jesus uh, and like when people were commissioned into the Lord's work or ministry, people would be prayed over and and they would put hands on them. And like whether it was Paul or Peter, um, Paul had seen the risen Jesus. Peter was with Jesus. It was kind of uh, it connected the person to the apostle, which connected them with Jesus. So it was it was a very symbolic thing because you're you're saying I am connected to the message, I'm connected to the messenger, I'm even connected to the Messiah, you know. Mm. Now, let me say this: um, when I was ordained to the ministry, they um, they would say, if anyone here is ordained, would you come and get in the line and pray over the the ordained the myself. I bet when you were ordained into the ministry, they prayed over you and laid hands on you, didn't they, probably, mm-hmm. Jim? Sure did. Um, let me say that we don't talk about the impartation of Holy Spirit power all that much because we know that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer at the moment of salvation, but really in New Testament times and in the early church, um, it, it really was significant of the imparting, like, whatever spiritual power was in the messenger, by laying on that power and that presence of the Holy Spirit was symbolically, if not literally, transferred to the person being prayed for. And so, Jim, you know, I don't minimize the reality of laying on of hands for the, at at the very least, it's the endorsement of the candidate, and it might even be the impartation of Holy Spirit power. What do you think? I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's one of the things there that uh, we don't ever want to discount the power of God and the power of what He would do. Now, what you know, what gift you may have, you know, I've seen tests where they talk about your ministry and you know what your strength in ministry might be, and this, that, and the other. Folks, I, I can't encourage you enough to get in the Word and read and study. And find out how God would use you because He sure wants to. You may read be... Acts chapter eight, folks. That's right. All right, we're going to talk to Ruth from Virginia now. Ruth, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I have a question for you. I work in a nursing facility. How would you classify comfort 
care when they no longer administer medication uh, and they inject morphine for the pain, but that slowly stops your respirations. Well, Ruth, that's that's a hard choice to make because we're. I think that what we have to look at there, you know, certainly the quality of life comes into play. And if it has been determined by the family that they want to withdraw the feeding tube and that they just want the comfort care given at that point, then I think that's a choice that each family has to make. Now, how I would classify it as a it would be something very hard for that family to do. Uh, it'd be very hard for them to make that choice. Uh, Peter Rosenberger is one of our hosts here, and his website's called hopeforthecaregiver.org, hopeforthecaregiver.org, and he has some excellent material there. And uh, Ruth, if you'll stay on the phone after we're done, I'll have Peter send you one of his books that might help with that some. Alex, you know, mm-hmm. I've sat in for Hope for the Caregiver a couple of times. I've been a caregiver uh, a couple of times and have walked through this. We have thousands of caregivers who listen and it may be elderly. It may be young. It may be some that uh, have birth defects or have had accidents. Uh, There is a lot of comfort care out there. And so when you look at that, when you look at someone being a caregiver and coming up at that stage of life, it really does become almost a family by family choice, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. And and let me say this, um, the time to make decisions about end-of-life issues, and again, you know, we don't want to take the place of God and hasten something on that's only God's to really do, end-of-life. But, but let me just say, um, make decisions. I know you said you had a, a, a DNR order associated with your medical file, mm-hmm. and uh, I, again, we're trusting God. We're we're understanding that life is ultimately in His hands. But I think it's wise to put your own wishes in your file so that your family doesn't have to make a hard, agonized decision. Jim, as a pastor, I've counseled people, and maybe years and years ago, they had to make a decision, and it haunts them. Did we make the right decision? Mm-hmm. And don't you think it's kind of a compassionate thing to make your own personal medical wishes known so maybe your family doesn't have to make a really hard decision. It does, and I mean, that that's one of the reasons that I went ahead and did that uh, so yeah. that my wife won't have to worry about that. You know, I, I plan on making a living will. I need to go. I've talked about that. I need to go ahead and get that done. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've also told her that I wanted to, uh, when I die, uh, just get real personal here, and this is not a joke. I've told her that, I would like to be placed in my overalls and cremated and then the remains put in a in an old uh, mason jar for her to go and distribute at a lake of her choosing so I can feed the fish. So, mm. you know, and people say, well, there there's another choice for families. You know, what about that? What about cremation? How do we handle that? Folks, let me tell you, if God is able to put the stars in the sky and hang them there by choice, If God is able to reclaim the remains from those who were buried in the water, he's certainly able to reclaim my ashes and put them together to put in my glorified body. I have no doubt about that. Amen. I agree. 
you know, I'm, I'm going to get off that soapbox now. But, I mean, the, you're right, Alex. That helps your family down the road at some point that they don't have to make those decisions in a time of crisis. Amen. And, and, and I'll say this. We'll go back to the calls, folks. It's 888-589-8840. Um, to talk about end-of-life issues, um, it's not, not being morbid. Not, we're not trying to be, you know, um, morose or morbid here. But I think it's responsible to talk about because we're living in an age where um, technology can keep people alive in a vegetative state mm-hmm. for a long time. And I don't know, I just trying to relieve your loved ones of, of the burdens of making very hard decisions. And they're trying to speculate about what your wishes may or may not have been. Um, I think it's a loving thing to do to be as specific as you can so they don't have to agonize through those decisions. Amen. Well, let's go to Roger in Arkansas. And Roger, good afternoon and welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello. Hello. Uh, you t- This is Roger from Arkansas. Yes, sir. Yes. Good to have you. Uh, 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 it's real good talking to you, man. I listen to you all the time. Uh, a question I had uh, talking about babies being uh, aborted and so forth, and I read this in the Old Testament somewhere, and I don't know where it was at, and I don't remember how it was written, but I got the feeling that babies was going to grow up in heaven. Do you know anything about that? Alex, I'm going to yield to you on that one. Well, you know, uh, David said when his um, child with Bathsheba died, he said, he cannot return to me, but I will go to him. You know, it's been, and this is a little bit of speculation, but most scholars that talk about this would believe in heaven, in that glorified body, we're going to be at that perfect age. Adam and Eve, what's the prime of life? Maybe 30. Jesus began his ministry when when he was 30. And so at Matthew 18, 14, Jesus talked about uh, the little ones in heaven. Um, I can't really think of a, of a verse where it says that babies grow up, but it, it is presumed that in our glorified body, where there's going to be no more disease, no more pain, no more tears, we would be at the perfect state of life, maybe the perfect age of life, we'll be mature adults. Just, just think about this. God created Adam and Eve, and they were only minutes old, but yet they were like mature adults. Mm-hmm. And so maybe when a person goes to heaven, whether it's a baby, you know, um, an infant, whatever, but in that glorified state, we're, we're like a 30-year-old, um, mature. Uh, the Bible doesn't specifically say, but we, we tend to think that's the case. All right. Roger, I hope that helped. Thanks for listening, and thanks for giving us a call this afternoon. We're going to talk to Josh in Arkansas. Josh, welcome to Exploring the Word. Oh, thank you. Uh, I got a question for you now. It's, uh, it's, it's along the lines of uh, eternal security, and I was just curious that, you know, with, with certain scriptures I've been reading, uh, you know, in their Bible, like with Romans 11, uh, we're talking about the vine and be grafted in and cut off by being disobedient. Uh, also, like in Hebrews 6, you know, the apostasy verse, you know, Hebrews 6, uh, I think it's 3 and 4. Um, and also, like in Revelations, where, where uh, God's talking about handing the church over to Satan, you know, for 10 days and, and uh, enduring to the end. Uh, in like First Timothy 4, 
with uh, Paul talking to the church about people falling away from the faith, falling away to the doctrines of demons. Uh, you know, I just uh, I don't understand. I guess how y'all how you can believe in uh, once saved always saved with with those verses. I had a feeling that was going to be your question, Josh, mm-hmm. and that's one that we get often. Um, and Alex, you and I have talked about that before. Uh, the eternal security of the believer is the fact that we know who Christ is. We know him as our Savior, and he has promised that no one can pluck us out of his hand, including ourselves. Alex, would you agree with that? Yeah, and and by the way, thanks for raising this question. When you say, you know, once saved, always saved, in a way sometimes it's kind of phrased like, well, woohoo! I can do whatever I want. Uh, if I, you know, I've got it, I can't lose it. So party on! <laughs> and that's not at all the implication. Uh, you know, I think about these, you know, the verses that say that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans five one. But some of the verses that indicate our salvation is everlasting is John ten twenty eight twenty nine. I give to them eternal life, mm. and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. All right, First John five thirteen. These things are written to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Um, if somebody thinks they can just sin and do whatever because they're secure, that tells me their heart might not really be yielded to Jesus in the first place. Right. So um, I, I do think if you're born again, you're not going to get unborn. Your fellowship, that's a daily thing we have to nurture, though. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons that David said, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's not a question of salvation. It's a question of the joy and the walk, mm. a- ability to walk. Well, folks, that's going to do it for this afternoon. Jim Stanley with Dr. Alex McFarland. Stick around. Washington Watch comes your way next on American Family Radio. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.